And Father, open our eyes to see how you have called us to, to just live in this world in, in many senses of the word, Lord. We, we don't know always how, to, how best you've called us to, to work in this world or how to interact with people in this world or just how to live. Sometimes it feels so foggy and, and messy. And so, Father, we pray that you would bring us guidance um, on how to live and to act and to speak in this world, which is, again, which is why we keep coming to your word over and over again. We come to your word every day in our devotions, but then we come together as your people every week to hear you speak to us through your word. Father, because we know we need your guidance. We know we need your, your wisdom. And so we pray that you would do that now um, through your word, that you would speak clearly and powerfully to each one of us. And and we pray that you would just be here in a special way, that, that all of the distractions in our minds and in our hearts would be pushed off to the side, all of the sometimes awkwardness that can come through these topics would, would be calmed down and that we would be able to hear you speak clearly and powerfully to each one of us this morning. And so, Father, we do pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, I did warn you a couple weeks ago that we we're going to be starting to move into the next portion of a series that uh, gets people a little maybe tense and awkward feeling or may even step on some. <laughs> Siri said I had an interesting question. Um, may, you may even feel like I'm trying to step on toes, and, and uh, that's not the point, but the point is that we don't talk about this in helpful ways all the time, or at least we let, uh, we let the culture kind of set the tone and the conversation on these topics, and I want to be able to walk through these and help us see what Scripture has to teach us about all of these different ways, um, um, just different aspects of our sexuality in the world, and so... Um, today we're talking about pornography, which can get kind of awkward, but I'm going to do my best to make it not so awkward, um, but hopefully helpful. And so we've got two passages that are going to kind of guide our sermons, and, and I'm going to say something too. Normally my sermons are like loaded with scripture, and uh, some of these are not going to be so loaded because they're going to be pointing back to the last like eight messages that have been loaded with scripture. And I'm just going to keep pointing you back and saying, remember two weeks ago when I talked about this, that applies here. Okay. So uh, just so you kind of are aware of that, but here's our, here's our two passages this morning. The first one's in Matthew from the Sermon on the Mount. And then the second one is from Colossians that I've referenced pretty repeatedly. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And then in Colossians, I mentioned this passage last week, just a quick verse that says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, or covetousness, which is idolatry. 
And so early on in my, in my time as a youth pastor, I, I don't know how many of you know, but before I came here, I was a youth pastor for about 11 years. And this was maybe my second year as a youth pastor. We had this um, pretty incredible moment at one of our winter retreats. It wasn't planned. It wasn't scheduled. It was like this crazy movement of the Holy Spirit. We, we had kind of spent the weekend talking about all of these kind of burdens that we carry, like guilt and shame, and some kids feel this real burden to just achieve and be perfect. Um, and I was this, like, really youthful youth pastor who uh, did not go into the weekend as prepared as I should. So I was literally, like, writing my messages as the weekend went on, which is just not recommended. And so um, it was kind of the last night of the trip. We were talking about addictions. And uh, at one point in the message, I just stopped talking. And um, on the receiving end, it probably felt like, ooh, he's giving this dramatic pause. And reality was, I just totally forgot what I was going to (laughs) say. And I was trying to go, what was I going to say next? And you're trying not to be super awkward about it. Um, But in the middle of that, where I was sitting there going, shoot, 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 what was I going to say? What was I going to say? All of a sudden, one of the girls in our youth group stood up, and I was like, what's going on? And she started saying, I just have to confess something. And she started confessing all of her different sins and addictions and stuff, started confessing it to the whole group. And then she sat down, and then another kid stood up, and then another kid stood up, and then another kid stood up, and then a leader stood up. And, and that went on for three hours. Teenagers just confessing their sins and weeping and repenting and, and turning to Christ for forgiveness. It was, it was really this, you just kind of sit back and you go, Whoa, in my failure, <laughs> God is working. But what happened after that has also stuck with me. That So we kind of got done with that and, and got everybody kind of understanding who Christ is, his forgiveness, sent him off to bed. And then one of the young men came up to me and said, hey, I want to talk to you further. And so we kind of found a place to sit. And he had talked to me, he said, well, I noticed that a lot of the the young men in our youth group were getting up and confessing these addictions to to pornography. And he said, that really surprised me because I didn't know pornography was even bad. And and one of the things that, like, through that that, that conversation has stuck with me because, and this was, take it, like, over 10 years ago, that so ingrained culture that there are so many young men that think this is just a normal part of daily life that they they just this is not wrong it's just normal and uh, and not only they just assume it's not a part of a normal uh, like a normal part of daily life they just can't even fathom why it would be wrong the the, the typical response is like what's so wrong with this it's not hurting anyone um, and there's, there's multiple different ways you can answer that question. And the first one is just looking to our, the passage from the Sermon on the Mount, what, what Jesus said. He said, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And as we kind of dive into this passage, I, I always want to make sure people understand 
what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. Because we, Jesus says, well, you've heard this was said, but I'm going to say this. And that's been misinterpreted a number of ways. I've, I've heard some people say, well, what Jesus is doing, he's kind of like adding to the Ten Commandments. Like, you've heard the seventh commandment was you shall not commit adultery. Well, I'm going to give you seventh commandment point B, which is don't lust. And he's kind of adding to it. Well, that's not what he's doing. I've heard of people saying, no, what Jesus is doing is he's taking the, the seventh commandment or the whatever commandment, and he's just like dialing up the intensity of it. So he says, you don't, you, they used to tell you don't commit adultery, and now I'm ratcheting that up and saying you can't even lust. That's not exactly what's happening. And some people are saying, Jesus is saying, I just have, I have authority over the Ten Commandments. Like, you heard the Ten Commandments are said this, but I'm going to tell you something different and stronger and more difficult. I don't think that's actually what's happening. I think Jesus is actually doing something way simpler. Um, he's doing something that every teacher does every time they teach, is correcting the misunderstandings and misrepresentations of their current time. And so what had happened was the teachers of, of the law and the teachers of the church had taken the Ten Commandments and made them all about external actions and said, as long as you're doing the right thing on the outside, you're fine. Whatever's going on in here, that doesn't affect anything. So as long as you're just not committing adultery, it doesn't matter what's going on in your heart or your soul. And Jesus is saying, no, nah, that, that was never the intention. The intention was that these commandments are commanding over your actions and over your desires. Because as we've been talking repeatedly, desire is at the root of every action. Uh, you don't do something unless you want to do that thing. And so desire is always at the root and, and the commandments are there to command that desire. So that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying from the beginning when God gave the Ten Commandments, it was actually meant to be about your heart not just about your external actions. And that, that same misunderstanding is happening regularly today surrounding pornography. I mean, I hear people say this. It's fine. Just looking. It's not like I'm going to do anything. It's not like I'm going to like take any action on this. It's not like I'm actually committing adultery. I'm not doing anything. I'm fine. And Jesus comes in and says, it's actually not just about doing it's about feeling. It's about desiring, that those desires are right at the heart of every action. And so, yeah, of course, committing adultery is, is a sinful act, but even that adulterous desire deep within your heart is also sinful. And it's sinful because it does what? It takes God's good desires at his place, right? There's a good desire in us for sex and beauty. God has given us those good desires but it takes that desire and removes it from what God has intended for those desires and then uses them in an unhelpful way. That's just what sin is. And so whenever a desire kind of pushes beyond God's intention or God's kind of boundaries that he's placed on it, it becomes sinful. Even It becomes a lustful, adulterous desire, actually. Any desire can be lustful and adulterous. And so when, when, I, when you talk to somebody about pornography and they say, well, what's wrong with it? It's not hurting anybody. Uh, the first answer is actually pretty basic. God said no. 
Um, and, uh, and to say it bluntly, it doesn't really matter what you think. Like the God who created you, the God who created the universe, said this is bad. And so that's why you don't do it. It, it doesn't matter if you quite even understand it. Um, but there's, there's other ways to explain this through Scripture as well. And one way to answer it, and this, I've answered it this way just because it kind of catches some people off guard. They'll say, well, what's wrong with it? It's not hurting anyone. And I say, it definitely is hurting people. It's hurting you, and it's hurting the person that you're looking at. Um, and and we, we're, we're seeing this more and more. It's less shocking now because there's like statistic after statistic after statistic showing how, how like pornography viewing and usage is just destroying people. Uh, and I'm actually not going to get into any of those statistics because you can just find them if you want to. What I want to do is I want to get deeper than the statistics and show, explain why. Like what, what scripturally is, why is this so damaging? Um, and in order to do that, we gotta, I got to remind you a little bit of where we've been and what I talked about a couple of weeks ago about how God has created us, right? And so it's important to remember God created us with desires, right? And those desires need to be used in the right places at the right times in the right ways, right? And so we already talked about that. But what were the other two points? God created us body and soul, and God created us to be in relationship. And uh, those kind of truths that God created us body and soul and to be in relationship, that has to affect the way we interact with anybody, right? So you go out into the church foyer after this, Grab a cup of coffee, and I keep saying a cookie, but it could be something else, some kind of sweet thing. Drink your cup of coffee and eat a cookie. You have to, and you interact with people, you have to interact with them as if they have a body and they have a soul. You can't ignore one of those, or if you do, you're not really treating them as a, as a fully human being. And so that, that just shapes the way we interact with people at church or at work or on the street, but it also is really important when we talk about pornography usage because when when someone's viewing pornography and they're trying to interact with a person there's one there's no ability to interact with that person's soul and let's just be honest there's no desire to interact with that person's soul that that the whole point of pornography is just to interact with someone purely on a physical level and you just ignore their soul and like you are just a body in front of me. And that's treating them as a subhuman being. It's, it's a dehumanizing thing. And we've talked about it. I mean, I know you've all heard this before. You, you've heard someone say, like, they've complained to you and be like, ah, I just feel like a piece of meat. You've ever heard that saying before? Like, I just feel like a piece of meat. Um, well, what are they saying? I just feel like a hunk of flesh. Like, people are treating me as if I don't even have a soul. They're treating me like just a body, like an object. And, and that's why. It's because their, their soul is being ignored and they're now being treated as less than, than human. And, uh, and what happens is, is you, you've kind of, you're no longer treating them as a human being with dignity and value and to be respected and, and as a human who has a soul, but you've kind of degraded them to just an object to be used to meet your own desires and your own cravings. And to put it really bluntly, you, you've turned that person, you put them at the same level as a piece of chocolate. <laughs> like, you go home, you have a craving for some chocolate, you go find some chocolate to fill your craving. 
You go home, you have some kind of sexual craving, you go find someone to fill that sexual craving. It's, it's that wrong. You're turning them into less than human. You're treating them as less than human, and that's damaging to them. Even though you're not like engaging with them physically, you're, you're damaging that person, along with all of the other damage that happens through just the industry. But just on a real deep level, treating someone as if they don't have a soul is actually hurting them, dehumanizing them. But it also damages you. Uh, so you're not only damaging the person you're, you're looking at, but it's actually destroying you. And, and there's a lot of different ways you can talk about this, but, but I just, I'll just kind of jump off of what I talked about last week. Um, and this passage from Colossians says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And I keep pointing out, it says, coveting is idolatry. That's what it says. That is idolatry. So to covet, to want something that's not yours or something that you cannot have, is idolatry. And is that not just the core essence of pornography? Desiring something that you cannot have over and over and over and over again. And that is idolatry. And then what did I say? What happens to idolaters? The Bible says that idolaters become less human and they become more and more like the idol that they're worshiping. Like the, the passage I read at the beginning of the service said, these idols have eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, mouths but cannot speak, they can't breathe. And those who worship them become like them. And so when you enter into this practice of idolatry, you become less and less human. You become more and more like the idol that you're worshiping. And so one of the things that we can learn is that when you are constantly trying to interact with someone as a body and not a soul, guess what's going to happen to your own soul? It's going to slowly wither up and die. It just kind of starts to eat away at your soul. And so because you're becoming like that idol, that, that you're worshiping. And I mean, and they, they've known this for a long time. I came across this quote from a guy named Thomas Watson. He wrote this 400 years ago. He's, he's talking about adultery, but it's all the same kind of thing. He says, this sin impairs the mind. It steals away the understanding. It stupefies the heart, and it eats out all of your heart for any good. And he's saying, it destroys your soul because you're interacting with someone and ignoring their soul. You're trying to interact with somebody just as a body, and then you're going to become more and more like that where your soul dies. But it doesn't just wither up your soul. It actually destroys your body, right? I mean, it's, if you become more and more like the idol you're worshiping, right? Those idols can't speak, can't hear, can't talk, can't breathe. And so you slowly become more and more like that. And, and last week I shared that quote from a guy that said, you know, the overuse of the brain's pleasure circuits actually prevents you from feeling any pleasure, right? And that, that applies to lots of things, including pornography usage. That, that when, you're, when you're viewing pornography regularly, over and over and over again, what you're doing is you are actually killing your ability to experience the pleasure that God has designed for you. You're destroying it because you're becoming like this idol that actually can't feel anything. And you're becoming more and more and more like it. 
Um, you're actually killing those pleasure sensors in your body. And it's, it's actually no wonder that if you talk to a lot of people who have been felt addicted to pornography, they would describe themselves as impotent because they have just killed every aspect of their life through that. They have destroyed their bodies, destroyed their souls through this addiction to pornography. Um, and they've just become more and more like the idols that they've worshipped. Um, which is why God says, no, <laughs> like, don't do this. This, is, this will kill you. It will destroy you and, and everyone around you. And uh, I mean, and this is, I should just take a side note. I mean, this applies to not just pornography. This applies to like people on the beach. If you're going to sit and lust after people on the beach, same thing's going to happen. Or people in the workplace or people in the grocery store, whatever. That same thing happens, whether it's through pornography or just as if you're treating people this way on a regular basis, you are dishonoring God, you are hurting them, and you're slowly destroying yourself as well. And so God says, this is a bad thing. Um, Let's stop doing it. And actually, Jesus says, like, you need to take some really drastic measures to kind of get yourself out of it. I mean, if your right eye causes you to sin... Tear it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Now everybody's like, well, Jesus is using hyperbole. Like, don't go home and rip out an eye or cut off a hand. um, Yes, but what his point is, you may need to do something drastic. Because if you don't do something drastic, it will kill you. It will destroy you. You can't mess around with this sin and these temptations because it grabs hold of you and runs you into the ground. And one of the, one of the pastors I read this week had a great line. He said, we may have to be culturally maimed in order to preserve our purity of mind. And what he's saying is, if this is a sin that you struggle with, whether it's pornography or it's just lust... He says, you may have to take such drastic action that the world looks at you and calls you a fool. Or the world calls you, you're an extremist, or you're a prude, or whatever they want to call you. But you may have to take that drastic action in order to save yourself in the midst of this. And so, I mean, I think I can reword Jesus' saying to say something like this. If your television is causing you to sin in this way, throw it out of your house and beat it with a bat. It's, it's better to lose your TV than to lose your soul, right? If your computer or your phone or your social media is causing you to sin this way, throw it to the bottom of Beaver Dam Lake and don't look back. Because it's better to lose all of those things than to slowly destroy yourself and dishonor your God. And, and for some people... Let's be honest, for some people, that may have to be a permanent solution to the problem, right? You may struggle with this to the point where you're like, I can never go on a computer again. Or I can't have, I don't have my phone on me. I can't have a phone with a screen on it. I have to have a dumb phone the rest of my life because this is leading me into sin. That may have to be a permanent action. For some, it may be a temporary action until you get to the point of moving beyond the temptation. But but may have to be permanent, and people may look at you like you're a fool because you have a dumb phone all the time. Well, it's better to have a dumb phone than a dumb soul. 
And so don't mess around with it. Don't try to rationalize it. Don't try to wait like maybe I'll take care of this eventually. Do something now. Because it is killing you. It is hurting everyone around you. And it's dishonoring God. And, and with that strong of a statement, I have to also jump over here and say, remind everybody, this isn't an unforgivable sin. Okay? This is not an unforgivable sin. All of the principles that I've been talking about this morning apply in the opposite direction as well. You become like what you worship. And so if if you're going to worship these idols of lust and pornography, you will slowly destroy your soul and destroy your body and dishonor your God. However, the opposite is true. If you confess your sin, you repent, you turn away from it, you grab hold of Jesus Christ by faith, you receive his forgiveness, you commit to following him, and you say, I am going to worship you with all of my life, you'll become like what you worship. And the promise is you become more and more like Christ. Those desires that have all been messed up will slowly be kind of reordered to be in the right and proper place. All of the broken relationships in the past that have kind of led through all this will slowly be healed. Your soul will be revived and restored. And your body will too. Like your body will actually begin to function differently because you're becoming more human because you're worshiping Christ who is truly human. I always tell everybody, like, it's not going to happen immediately. Like, there are still consequences to our sins, right? Like, you, you, you live a long life, a long sinful life, it, all of that mess takes a while to be healed. And so it's going to take a while, but slowly, progressively, Christ will be working on you. And as you keep holding on to Christ, you keep worshiping him, you keep following him, you'll slowly become more and more like him. Your soul will be restored. Your body will be restored. Your desires will be reoriented and reordered in a proper place. And you'll become more fully human. I also want to just end by pointing out something that uh, the Heidelberg Catechism does, um, reminds us, that I think is really helpful. One of the things that the Catechism does, if you ever notice it, you go through all of the Ten Commandments, It reminds us that, yes, the commandment, like this commandment says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And it says, okay, it says no, don't do this. But the catechism reminds us that for every no in the Ten Commandments, there's also a yes. The Ten Commandments were always intended to be that way. It wasn't just don't do this. So it's it's not just don't steal, but like work hard and be generous. Okay? And so in this one, it's not just... Don't commit adultery or don't have bad desires. It's also God has created you to have certain desires in certain places with certain people. Go do that. That's good and beautiful and healthy. And so it's saying yes to having sexual desire toward the right things in the right places at the right times. It's saying yes, God created it there. It's saying Yes, to having these sexual desires for within the boundaries of this committed relationship between a husband and a wife. And saying yes to, to sexual desire where we treat our spouse as if they have a body and a soul. And it's saying yes to, to a sexual desire that's not just like self-seeking, selfish about me, 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 me. But the flip side of that is saying yes to a sexuality that's actually self-giving and, and generous and not all about me. Because that's how God has designed our, 
our sexual desires to function in, in these boundaries. And, and when they do, they're not actually destructive, but they're life-giving. And, uh, and I just have to say, that's a lot more beautiful um, than, than anything the world has to offer us. Let's come to our God in prayer. Father, we just give you thanks for your grace and your mercy. Father, I think we all recognize that we easily and quickly fall short in these areas. And uh, we have this confidence that you love us and you walk with us and you carry us and you forgive us. And we're, we're just thankful that you don't throw us off in the midst of these battles and struggles and and so, Father, we confess those to you. We confess our sins, our, our shortfalls, our failings, how we've dishonored you, how we've hurt other people, how we've hurt ourselves. We thank you for your forgiveness. But, Father, we also want your spirit to work in our hearts and change our lives and change our desires and restore our souls and restore our bodies. And so we pray that, that you would do that work in each one of us. Father, help reorder our desires to be the way that you've designed them to be, to, to desire the things you want us to desire. Father, restore, revive our souls, restore our bodies, we pray through your spirit, and, and lead us in this path. Help us to walk with one another through all of these struggles and temptations, and to hold each other accountable, yes, but also to point, pe- point each other in the right direction so that we would live out these desires in ways that bring glory and honor to you and our, our life-giving to us. And so... Protect us, we pray. And for anybody here struggling with pornography or struggling with addictions to lust, Father, we pray that you would make a decisive action today to free them from that and and begin them on the path toward restoration and renewal and, and becoming more and more like you, we pray. Father, we thank you that you've done that in, in so many of our lives, and we thank you just for your faithfulness and your grace. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.